Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. The season of the heart is upon us. Late spring is the ideal season for romance, and June is the ideal month for weddings. Our finest emotion, love, is in full bloom. Sounds great, but as we all know, especially those of us at middle age who have been around for a while, love can be tricky, both for the person giving love and for the person on the receiving end. And my first guest today, Frank Farley, Ph.D., is going to discuss some of the best ways to demonstrate romantic love, whether you're currently single and convinced that you've met that one special person that you've been searching for, or whether you've been married to the same person for a quarter century or more and want to erase any doubt in your spouse's mind that he or she is now and always will be your one and only Valentine. The downside, whenever you or I feel a strong romantic attachment to someone or when that someone feels a strong attachment to you, it's so easy to say or do the wrong thing or to misinterpret what your partner says, uh, causing strong emotional pain. And for many of us, it doesn't always grow easier over time because I've been married to my wife, Gloria, for over 30 years. And despite how well I know her and how much I love and respect her, I now and then say hurtful things that I'm sorry for later. And uh, it's kind of like the uh, title of those paperback books with instructions on almost any subject. Today, Professor Farley is here to instruct us on the romantic do's and don'ts for dummies. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I certainly can use the instruction. And Frank Farley, Ph.D., is a humanistic psychologist and professor of educational psychology at Temple University in Philadelphia. He's past president of both the American Psychological Association, which is the world's largest society of psychologists, and also the American Educational Research Association. He's published research on a wide range of topics, from risk-taking personalities to men who visit massage parlors. And uh, he has formulated the concept of the type T, or thrill-seeking personality, which I'd like to get to later because that's a fascinating subject. And uh, he was born and grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, and graduated from the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon. And it makes me cold just to mention those locations. (laughs) And he has a Ph.D. from the University of London in the U.K. before he emigrated to the U.S. And hello, Dr. Fred. We're deeply honored to have you with us today on Middle Age Can Be Your Best stage. Happy to be here, Roy. Well, let's assume we all want to treat our sweethearts to an extra special evening or weekend of romance sometime during June. Uh, Can you recommend an all-purpose formula for love, an approach guaranteed to convince our love partner that he or she is indeed the most special person in our life? (laughs) 
I, I wish I could, you know, a guaranteed <laughs> formula, but it doesn't exist. So the best I can do is sort of nudge, nudge people towards something that might work. <laughs> you know, yeah, so one, of, the, one, of the, one of the big things, I'll just go through a kind of a short list of possibilities. One of the big yeah. things, of course, um, in midlife love is to spend time together. Yeah, so, you know, so don't let personal busy work overtake you and squeeze out romantic time. Yeah. I mean, it's too important. Even Albert Einstein once said when he was asked, what's the most important thing in life? And you might have thought he would say, understanding the universe. <laughs> no, he said relationships. Oh, wow. That's, so, that's you know, surprising. <laughs> we have a loneliness epidemic that's going on. There's increasing research on that, that people are more frequently living alone. Yeah. Uh, people are getting married at a later age, yeah. uh, etc. And there's this loneliness epidemic going on. Uh, we also know from very large-scale studies that loneliness is one predictor of death. Oh, yes, that's true. I know I've, I've seen studies like that. And so, you know, relationships really are central to our lives. We're social animals. And uh, so getting along with a loved one and getting along with everybody, friends yeah. and so on, is just very important. So Yeah, it kind of goes together. You can't really, uh, I don't think, get along with a loved one yet treat everyone else like dirt. <laughs> you cannot no do that. for other people. <laughs> that, that's absolutely correct. So pay attention to your loved one. Put your device away. Yeah. Put that little handheld device you know, the younger generation hasn't learned this important point no, yet. No, they sure haven't. <laughs> they, they spend all their time, even when they might be face-to-face -face with friends, they're looking at that little screen. Yeah. And they haven't learned yet. But hopefully, uh, middle-aged folks hopefully have learned to put that device away. Your partner is number one, not that little machine. Yeah, my wife often, I don't uh, have that addiction, but unfortunately when we're out, sometimes I'll uh, let my eyes, ears, and mind wander to others around the room, <laughs> especially to attractive individuals of the opposite sex. I won't say I knew that. but uh, No, of course it, not. It's so important that when you're alone with your uh, spouse but out in public somewhere that you concentrate on what he or she is saying and not to... Uh, let your mind be distracted of what's going on in, in the restaurant or wherever you may be. Indeed, Roy. In fact, we, we have a term for it. It's a disease called FOMO. F-O-M-O. Oh. -O -O. oh. And FOMO stands for fear of missing out. <laughs> and it's uh, it's everywhere. You know, people keep checking their devices just in case they missed out on something. And what's happening is they're missing out on the important stuff by yeah, doing that, it. Yeah, that's so true. And that, when you say spend time alone with your uh, spouse or significant other, it, uh, that often doesn't mean just to talk about problems of the discipline of the kids or the budget or all these things. I, I think you need to spend some time where you just listen and uh, relate to what uh, what's going on emotionally for that person or, you know, really pay attention to just who they are, not all the problems that you face together, I think. Uh, 
Yes, absolutely right. And there are several other things that are very important to keep the romantic fire burning. Uh, new experiences. You know, it's so easy to slip into a rut. Oh, yes, that's for sure. You know, and it's not hard to break out, actually. Huh. So, you know, we're coming up on um, summer, yeah. vacation time. Yeah. Break out of the rut. Don't go to that same place you've been going to for 30 years. <laughs> Try something new, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, and in your everyday life, too, if you go out to a restaurant or something, try something new, try some new food, try some new experiences. Yeah. You know, as a species, we thrive on challenges. That's what's gotten us to where we are today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tens of thousands of years ago, we, were, we had an extremely restricted life in a cave, <laughs> etc., and look at our lives today. We've been to the moon. We're going to Mars. We throw our voice across the world just with, with, with ease, yeah. uh, using our devices. And so it's all based upon the fact that we are open to new experiences. Yeah. And we're, we all want, you know, as a species, we want to know what's on the other side of the mountain. Well, it's the same thing in relationships and in romance. To keep it alive, you know, you gotta you gotta come up with new experiences and uh, novelty. Yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a challenge to uh, learn something new about your mate that you didn't know maybe this month or this week or whatever? <laughs> no matter Indeed. how long you've been married, there must be something there that uh, you know she or he hasn't revealed to you. Well, novelty and new experiences may bring it out, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's and uh, what a wonderful experience. And then doing different things together contributes to your memories, you know, yeah. your memory book. It puts yeah. things into your romantic memory book because you confronted something new, a new experience. You went to a, a, a new place completely different for your vacation and... One thing we know from research is confronting things, novelty, and new experiences together strengthens people's bonds. Oh, yeah. And you remember those moments, you know, where some breathtaking moment where the two of you saw a vista, you stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon, you know, or something together. Especially if one slips and falls into the canyon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, let, indeed. Let's talk about a couple of different, very different hypothetical situations. Situation one, you're middle-aged and single, divorced, widowed, perhaps never married, and you only recently met someone new, and at first glance you're convinced that uh, he or she may be the right person just for you and you're the right person for them. But you've felt this way before, and um, only to wind up alone and disappointed you're preparing for your first intimate one-on-one -on -one romantic date. Are there any signs you should look for to tell you that you're on the right track? Or uh, how, how should you prepare for that date? Uh, what a good question. There's very few universal signs. I see. Uh, I wish there were. Yeah. But, but it's so frequently a case-by-case -case, uh, situation because people are different. Yeah. And so you may date person A and then uh, person B, and they might be quite different, A and B. And yeah. so your reaction and your attempts to understand how the relationship is going 
you know, may be wrong when you when you apply what you felt about A when you apply it to B. Yeah. And I that's guess the you problem. see the, the other person continually looking at his or her watch and maybe yawning a lot. Oh, <laughs> You're probably indeed. not on the right track. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Eye contact is very important. You know, yeah. we read the eyes all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that newborns... Uh, uh, newborn babies, human babies, yeah. and newborn monkeys, one of the first things they look at is the human eyes in yeah. others. The eyes are messengers for us. And if, you know, they show interest in you yeah. and uh, they laugh with you, uh, and um, as you point out, they're not distracted, that's key. That's yeah. absolutely key. Now, some people say, well, um, if, it's, if you're a male and, and your date is a female, um, if they're always adjusting their hair, yeah. you know, it suggests that they're trying to be sure that they look their best. Yeah. I don't know if that's valid or not, but, you know, you, you sometimes hear that. <laughs> so, um, the conversation that goes on. Yeah. What are they talking about in interaction with you? Is it, you know, about their ex? Yeah. Or <laughs> probably a bad sign. A or very bad sign. Uh, talking about themselves <laughs> and not uh, inquiring at all, uh, you know, sincerely of what uh, what you're thinking or what your interests are. Then you're probably not on the right uh, track. No, that's a really important point. Yes, they hopefully they should show some interest in you. If they seem to have a lot of drama that they're talking about, you know, uh, sort of <laughs> yeah, drama interpersonal queen. battles of their life, yeah. <laughs> or the it's, drama probably, <laughs> it's probably time to walk at, at that point. <laughs> because, you know, inheriting a lot of drama from the past is no good. You know, in a relationship, you want it to be looking forward, not yeah. backward. Yeah. And you don't want, the term we use a lot in psychology these days is catastrophize. Oh. <laughs> and if the person catastrophizes all the time, you know, going on and on about, you know, their past relationships and, you know, etc. Also, what they might say they're looking for in life, you know, yeah. if you can get into that conversation, it's good. You know, what What are your dreams? What are you looking for in this life? Yeah. And then it suddenly turns to catastrophe and they're catastrophizing this and that and the other thing, <laughs> complaining. Uh, the great motivational speaker Zig Ziglar once yeah. <laughs> coined the term um, stinking thinking. <laughs> and it's it's negative negativity. Yeah, that, you know that's so true, and that, that's that's such a crucial aspect when you're on a date with someone new. Is uh, do they have a positive outlook on life overall, or a consistently negative outlook on life? And uh, yes. that obviously is not what you want. Going no, forward. you don't want to inherit yesterday's hassles, yesterday's problems, negativity. Yeah. You know, you want them to accentuate the positive yeah. because this may be your future. And, you know, you want a positive future. Yeah. So there there are lots of signs. Usually it's going to take you more than one, uh, you know, one dip in the pool, yeah. I think, to, to know whether you like the water. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, let's talk about situation two, the opposite. You've been married to your present spouse, oh, say, 27 years or 35 years, whatever. And although your marriage today is not on rocky ground with three kids, two careers, bills to pay, full uh, load of church, social, and community obligations, you feel like you and your spouse are drifting apart emotionally, and you wonder if your spouse believes you're taking him or her for granted. What recommendation do you have for a romantic evening or weekend in a long-established marriage? And can you offer a few do's and don'ts in that case when you're, you're basically dating your spouse? but you're trying to get away and trying something new. I guess you made some suggestions earlier that, that kind of tie in and uh, do some things you haven't done month in and month out before, for instance. Yes, yes. Well, uh, the idea that you're dating your spouse is actually a good thought. Yeah. You know, go out on a date. What fun. Yeah. And, um you know, try to look at everything from a fresh perspective. Again, trying yeah. new things is so key. New research has come out just just uh, currently. There's a, a journal that's called the Journal of Sex Research. Oh. And um, a, no, a new study has just come out on uh, middle-aged sexuality. Oh. It's a huge study, over 6,000 participants. And... Um, Keeping sex alive, of course, can be quite a problem. Yeah, uh, in something I, you know, I wasn't really going to get into detailed discussion of, but uh, it's such a crucial element of, uh, you know, physical attraction versus uh, mental attraction, and all these other issues that come up when we introduce sex into the picture. But, uh, but no, it, it certainly complicates matters in relationships. I would think, or often does. It does, and it's often a, a significant factor in a breakup yeah. over time. Yeah. And uh, what the what this new research is, suggests is what they call sexual wisdom, oh. which is if you want to enrich your sexual romantic life, um, you know, in a long long term relationship, um, what is needs to be emphasized is not you know the crazy passion of an earlier time, yeah. but rather a more nuanced understanding of what your partner enjoys and what you enjoy and and approaching it from that kind of wise viewpoint. You know each other, and this is a, a, a skill, really, that you have. You have yeah. wisdom of the other person, and they have wisdom of you. Yeah. And so don't pretend that you're, you know, uh, a millennial <laughs> in in the bedroom, yeah. you know. But go at it from. And by the way, they do res they do recommend things like um, um, more variety, more uh, foreplay. Um, after you've had sex, you know, don't you're just not talking walk about away. variety of partners. You're just a variety with one partner. Oh, uh, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah, no. And you know, after sex, don't just walk away. You know, like uh, yeah, oh, but rather uh, cuddle, express your love to each other, um, and a key thing that this new research recommends is make time for it. Oh yes, that's you know. Yeah, because just, uh, you don't have to say we're going to have sex today or whatever. You know, you just make time and, and be with the person, and things tend to happen naturally. I think when you do. That. Yes, and There's one no very important thing too is that 
research has for a long time shown that where the sexual quality of life is concerned, men tend to find more sexual quality of life as they age than oh, women do. Sure. And that, that's a long time, long-standing uh, finding in research. However, with this new approach, uh, what they call sexual wisdom, you know, to, to focus on what you understand of your partner and their wants and, and, and what they enjoy and what you enjoy and how you, you express it to each other, uh, the feeling is that it may bring up the sexual quality of life for women uh, in ways that they have not, on average, been feeling as much as men. Yeah. So um, it's important. Sex is important. It's important throughout life. And um, the new viewpoint is this idea of of sexual wisdom. You know, you know, put yeah. put behind you the the, the lust <laughs> from yeah. from an earlier time, and don't even worry about trying to reignite that approach to yeah. to sex and and you may find that uh, it sort of uh, regenerates uh, your relationship in many ways huh. well uh, just before we let you go i know you're an expert and you uh, came up with that type t theory and, and talking about type t teens which are actually uh, Let's say your teenage son or daughter routinely risks life and limb, skateboarding, snowboarding, motorcycle, daredevil, whatever. Obviously, we want to protect our teen from death or injury, but is a type T personality all bad? And I think a lot of those adventuresome types turn out pretty outstanding adults. Isn't that true? Or <laughs> Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, Roy. The, the type T, I talk about the, there being the type T positive and the type T negative. Oh, I see. And the type T positive is what has created the modern world. Yeah. You know, they're the people who push the envelope. You know, they're the ones willing to take a risk, whether it's an intellectual risk or a physical risk. They're the ones who crossed the ocean, discovered America. They're the ones who are going to Mars. They're the Albert Einsteins who create whole new visions. We, We would not be outside the cave today if it wasn't for the big T positive personalities. Yeah. But the the downside is the destructive side of taking risks. And we have a huge problem in America along yeah. those lines. Yeah, sure. You know, violent crime, which is uh, thrilling. I, I hate to say it, but for some people, it's a thrill to kill. Yeah. And, oh, that's, that's, that's and you know, we have... We have a way more than we should be tolerating in this country of the T-negative, destructive forms of thrill-seeking and risk-taking. And so it's such an interesting personality. It can go in one direction, in my view, or the positive, or it can go in the negative direction. Well, how the ne- parents the do we, uh, what can we do as parents to point our, our teenagers or preteens in the right direction instead of the wrong direction, you know, so they have that initiative and the creativity, but they channel it the right way. How, how do we, how that do we is, do that? That's a key question that is a question that will determine the future of America, in my yeah, view. That's very you true. You firstly pay attention to them. You know, they're... Yeah. 
pushing the envelope all the time, which might show up as an infant where they're not afraid of strangers, they wander off into the woods, yeah. etc. That's actually, at a deep level, a positive quality. Yeah. And pay attention to them and help them channel their risk-taking and thrill-seeking in healthy, constructive, positive ways, like... Um, creative endeavors of yeah. one sort or another, creative science, creative art. Yeah. Um, actually, where sports are concerned, I hate to say it, but baseball doesn't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> not, not for American youth. The but extreme sports, you. <laughs> you know, you mentioned yeah. skateboarding and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, you see kids out doing that all the time now. That's not a bad outlet, no. you know, but it, it's not going to sustain a life, of course. But it may help get them through, you know, adolescence and a phase of their life, at least in part. But you want to add to that getting an interest in, in other creative ways, in business. For example, entrepreneurship is a huge outlet yeah, that's for type sure. T. Yeah. Um, you know, we, there's new research indicating that approximately one-third of millennials today are making their livelihood independently. Yeah. Not like working for a company, but setting up something online that they run themselves. And uh, we have a new term now. It's called the gig, G-I-G, yeah. the yeah, gig economy. Yeah. Well, that's a great outlet for T-types because they can be as creative as they want, yeah. you know, in creating new businesses. Look at Mark Zuckerberg, what he did yeah. wow. in the gig economy, you yeah. know. He created Facebook. Uh, he wasn't working for some other company when he did no. it. No, that's for sure. And yet, uh, you know, with all that positive opportunity out there, I, in the May 16, 2017 Wall Street Journal, I saw this article, School districts are warning parents of a social media game that purports to instruct preteens to carry out increasingly dangerous tasks and self-harm over 50 days culminating in suicide. It's called oh, the Blue man. Whale Suicide Challenge. And fortunately, as of the date of publication, there were no indication of any kids actually following the instruction and no reports of resultant suicides. But school administrators from northeast U.S. to the Rocky Mountains have sent letters to parents warning of this. And uh, as a noted psychiatrist, I'm certain you'll agree, Dr. Frank, that this is one very sick individual that would design and introduce a pre-teen suicide challenge. I mean, oh, my really God. How, how dreadful. <laughs> well, you know, we have, um, we have a lot of... I've argued uh, in print that America is a type T nation, <laughs> that we tilt more toward the risk-taking and thrill-seeking end than many other countries. Yeah, that's, that's particularly old world countries. Yeah, you know? that's for sure. And where it's still a new world country, you know, in in historical time. Yeah. And so we've got a lot of this type T behavior. We, uh, immigrants, in my view, tend to tilt toward risk taking and and thrill seeking personalities. Yeah, and they've, they've done so much for this uh, country over the years. They have, and so we have uh, we have enormous creativity on the one hand. And we have enormous destructiveness on the other hand. Yeah. You know, this high uh, crime rate, the highest yeah. incarceration rate in the entire world, yeah. etc. And well, so understanding this type T personality in the American context, in my view, is key to the future of this country. 
Yeah, that's very true. Well, in conclusion, I want to thank Professor Frank Farley for his sound advice, both on romantic relationships and on protecting and uh, raising our type T offspring. And uh, to you out there, a few final words of advice. At middle age, if you long for a lifelong romantic uh, companionship or if legally married or single, you're in a relationship, but it's not wonderfully fulfilling for both you and your life partner, then why not take the initiative this spring to uh, bring mutual love and affection into your life? And uh, uh, Dr. Farley has given you a number of suggestions on how you do that. And uh, unlike Dr. Farley, I'm not a trained psychologist, but here's one secret I've learned. You'll not effectively give love and affection to another unless you first know and love yourself. And in no way does this mean you consider yourself better than others, but it does mean that you should be proud of your unique talents and abilities to serve others and what you are willing to give to another person to make that other person truly happy. And if you're not at peace with yourself and eager to share yourself with another, with others, and especially with that one other, I'm afraid you're destined for a long and uh, lonely and painful pathway to the future, and no one wants that. And uh, I suggest you follow uh, Dr. Frank Farley's advice. And thank you, Megan, uh, Professor, for joining us here today. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. It's been most enlightening. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Before we move on to our next guest, as couples spoon in June under the beautiful summertime moon, I don't want you to miss out, whether it's with someone you've just met, someone you hope to meet, or perhaps to spice up an existing romantic relationship, I'd like to remind you of our great offer, the amazing 90-minute video online course, How to Find Love in Seven Days, The Science of Finding Love, by Dr. Terry Orbuck, the love doctor. And this is not a bunch of hocus-pocus. It's based upon Dr. Terry's 30 years of scientific research into romantic relationships of couples. And you can receive a 50% discount off the normal retail price simply by clicking on the Love Doctor banner on our program webpage. And by doing so, you also can receive a preview of Dr. Terry's course. Now on with the interview. Well, in most of the country, school is out for the summer and will be in the rest of the country in the next couple of weeks. So are you prepared to spend the summer with your teenagers? Well, one year ago on the June 20th, 2016 program, I had as a guest parenting coach, Laura Reagan, to help answer that question. And she's back today for a refresher course. And also she's (laughs) here to introduce her new book released just last November, How to Raise Respectful Parents, Better Communication for Teen and Parent Relationships. And to refresh your memories, here's Laura Reagan's bio. She's known far and wide as the Teen and Parent Relationship Whisperer. And she's a family sociologist with more than 30 years' experience helping teens and parents create more meaningful and fun relationships by solving problems and developing effective two-way communication. She holds a master's degree in sociology, specializing in interactionism and family communication dynamics. 
and she's a noted parental coach, speaker, and workshop leader on hot topics like substance abuse, bullying prevention, and teen suicide prevention, and she has hands-on experience as a parent of teens. One daughter is still a teenager, the other now a young adult. And hello, Laura, and welcome back to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Thank you so much. Glad to be with you. Well, as parents of teens know, many of our teens begin the summer all excited over their freedom, but tend to become bored and more (laughs) confrontational with us parents as summer wears on. Can you suggest any ways we as parents can connect with surly teens? How do we do that? I can a little. Uh, as you know, uh, they don't come with manuals. So it, it is uh, trial and error. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying I have all the answers by any stretch of the imagination, but one thing that was always important for me to do was admit where I was emotionally. You know, yeah, simply just say, right. okay, I, um, I'm scared or I'm a little anxious or um, I, I need a break too, you know, because yeah. I want a little bit of vacation and freedom. So I think just kind of checking in with yourself and admitting this is uh, where we are is important too. Yeah, that's so important to know where we're coming from and also to uh, recognize when we're being unreasonable on our side. <laughs> right. It's fault. <laughs> well, and our teens certainly have opinions about that, too. Yeah. And well, um, the truth is to have them communicate that as respectfully as possible, but they don't get it unless we model it. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, on the one hand, over the summer, we don't need to worry about our teen study habits, um, homework, and grades. On the other hand, we no longer know where our teen is, uh, not in school, <laughs> and uh, what they're up to for six or seven hours a day. Uh, how should we as parents alter our September to May rules over the summer months? Uh, uh, should we? Uh, w- what rules should we loosen, and uh, where should we draw the line in the sand on uh, what? <laughs> That's a great, a great question. It sounds like you're coming from a place of experience. Um, I I think it's to recognize that this is a wonderful opportunity to relate to teens in a fresh way. Um, Our research is telling us that um, kids receive impact or really feel connected to adults that do four things. And those are, one, fun activities with them, uh, two, teach them a skill, Three, help them solve problems, and problems may be, you know, things that teens perceive as problems and and adults or parents might not. And then four, it's to be present for them in a time of crisis. Um, The fun activities is the easy part, right? We all, you know, want to do something fun and light and and refreshing over the summer, whether that's water sports or uh, beach time or, or, you know, baseball in the park, whatever it is. Yeah. And then the other thing that kids respect is is teaching a skill. You know, yeah. if we have an activity that um, fills their time in a structured way but a meaningful way, a skill that they can grab a hold of, yeah. um, that not only prepares them for the future, but it actually bonds them to, to you and helps them listen on the times that, you know, you want to share a, uh, yeah, an important Especially if we're stuff. treating them as uh, emerging young adults, you know, and, and learning the skill together or... or perfecting it uh, rather than teaching you them. You said it. Kids. That is the whole key. That is yeah. the whole key. Is if we want respect, we have to give respect. Yeah, that's right. And um, finding that balance of letting go and allowing a little experimentation on their part and yeah. then being the anchor in their life yeah. um, 
is is the struggle that we as parents go through with teens. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, I don't know about you, but today's teen culture, including the omnipresent connection to social media, is foreign to me. We didn't have that when I was a kid. How can you and I as parents get a grip on the teen culture without our son or daughter thinking we're lame and simply tuning us out? (laughs) Right. I think that's an excellent, excellent question and point, and it's a challenge for all of us as parents. Um, Some of the things I've done with my daughters is, is to, you know, not avoid social media because it is a reality of our lives. And they need to grow the skills necessary to discern, you know, what's safe and what's not. So we had two two basic rules in our house. One was dinner time and family time, the phones got put in the basket or or away from 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 the time so that you actually had face to face conversation. And it wasn't I was out at a restaurant recently in the Two kids were sitting there handing, with their phones in hand, not even paying attention to their parents or their siblings. <laughs> it is classic these days. You know, you go out to dinner and everybody's on the phone. It's not just teens. It's parents, too. Yeah, um, and it creates this addiction. Uh, neurologists are telling us that it, it creates a uh, kind of addiction in the brain, and we have to guard against that. But the kids miss out on conversation time. Yeah. Um Back in the day, I remember sitting around listening to my grandparents' uh, conversations about who was in the hospital and what was happening and what family and how the weather was affecting things. And yeah. um, I missed, I think we missed that because kids are not hearing adult conversations yeah, and we, we wonder why they can't write and <laughs> speak so, and be professional so, in jobs. So what's you the know? second rule? And the first is no phone at dinner, which makes a lot of sense. What's well, the thanks for bringing back. The second was... Um, to to go ahead and allow the internet time, but have it be around a parent. And oh. I would peek over and watch, you know, hey, what video are you watching? Tell me about that. And yeah. I would use one of the skills we talk about in the book, open-ended questions, yeah. um, that don't require yes or no answers, but require the team to elaborate a little bit. And what that does is two things. It, it helps anchor psychologically that there is an adult present. Yeah. And it also allows me to kind of watch for the scammers, you know. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get a free Cancun vacation <laughs> if you fill out this survey, <laughs> you know. And those are skills that teens need, you yeah. know, uh, to be able to maneuver in the world today. So it was, um, sure, have your video time, have your, your online iPad time, but let's do it around each other so that there is um, some interaction. Yeah, that's great. Well, throughout your promotional area, you talk about a co-creation strategy to build a relationship of mutual love and respect with our teens. In a few short words, can you please describe what you mean by the term co-creation strategy, and how do we get started implementing this strategy with our teens? Well, thank you. Um, Co-creation is simply a two-way communication. It's that we as parents know kids uh, influence the relationship. You know, any uh, parent that brings home a crying newborn baby knows that that kid has a vote. 
they are (laughs) requiring something of us. (laughs) And that doesn't change in 10 years. And we can actually use that to our own advantage and to their advantage to prepare them for the future. Yeah, no more you do it this way because I said so then. (laughs) That's not the way. Yeah, um, you know, and and folks are a little afraid sometimes to share that power uh, because they – they feel like, you know, we've got enough chaos in the world. But the reality is authoritarian leadership doesn't work. You know, no, it's sure what it doesn't. Um, it, it, it doesn't prepare kids to be a part of a team in no. a job situation. Um, it, it, even in the classroom, they yeah. need to be able to be engaged and say, hey, this is what I think about this text we're reading. Yeah. And if they can't speak up and use those good communication skills, um then they wind up missing out. You know, they wind up being followers rather than leaders. So it's about engaging teens in the relationships in the ways that um, I've talked about previously, you know, the fun activities, teaching the skill, problem solving. um, Well, let's talk about your great new book, How to Raise Respectful Parents. Now, unlike most every other book I've discovered on parent-teen relationship, your book, at least by its title, appears to have been written for our teenage daughters and sons, not for us. Can we as parents <laughs> read it also, or should we just give it to our teens and let them have it? <laughs> give it to them and say, here, this will fix you. No, no. Um, the reality is that both need to read it together to work I on the relationship in the ways that um, – work for them. Yeah, back and, to that co-creation. You read the book together. That makes a lot right, of sense to me. Right. And try some of the exercises. It is directed to teens, um, but I'm hoping that, you know, savvy parents will uh, connect with their teens over it. That's the purpose. What is the primary message you would like our teenagers to take away from your book? Um, that they are empowered to influence the relationship in positive ways. If yeah. They feel they aren't uh, getting a fair share, then speak up and say that. But say that in ways that are meaningful and I, and I like the way you tell the teenagers to realize it's a two-way street. You know, they always want us to uh, relate to their teen culture and stay out of the way, but it's also important that uh, the teenagers uh, relate to the adult culture and uh, and see our point of view as well, rather than expecting us to do all the... Uh, yeah, you know, I have <laughs> an exercise in the book about interviewing your, your parents, you know. Know, what did you like to do when you were growing up, and yeah. and how do you relax and and help um, teens begin to see uh, their parents as human beings? Well, where best should our listeners go to preview and purchase your book? Where where, where should we? Uh, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, of course, uh, under the title heading "How to." How to Raise Respectful Parents, but also check out my website, LaurelReagan.com. That's R-E-A-G-A-N for Reagan. I know sometimes yes, it's spelled without the A in it, but uh, LaurelReagan.com, that sounds good. Well, like most everything else in life, you and I as mom and dads are faced with a challenge this summer, and it's totally up to us how to react. The challenge, kids are out of school, they have a lot of free time, and they're going to test our patience. 
and we can uh, our choice we react negatively with dread wondering how the heck we'll survive day in and day out with this <laughs> regular interaction with our teens uh, and keep them in check until glorious September arrives and they go back to school <laughs> or we, we can react positively with a solid game plan for engagement with our teens getting to know them better and uh, relating to them as near adults coaching but not uh, authoritarian uh, attitude, just, just telling them how it's going to be and uh, leaving most of the decisions up to them and giving them some freedom to fly so they'll be ready to uh, move out of the nest soon. And wouldn't it be great if both our teens and us someday look back on the summer of 2017 as one of the highlights of our lives together and mom and dad and our teenagers more in love than ever and having far greater mutual appreciation and respect at summer's end. And I urge every one of you with teenagers to choose the positive mindset rather than the negative as we begin summer. And as a wonderful resource both for you and your teens, uh, I recommend highly that Laura Lyles Reagan's new book, How to Raise Respectful Parents, Check it out on Amazon or on Laura's website, laurallreagan.com. And thank you so much for returning, uh, Laura Reagan, and best of success in getting your message out there. Lord knows we need it as summer approaches. Thank you so much. And that's our program today. Tune in next week again for Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 